The following sermon was preached at Tower View Baptist Church. We are a gospel-centered, relationship-driven church that exists to know, grow in, share, and serve Jesus Christ. We do all this for the glory of God. For more about us, please check out our website at www.towerviewkc.com. Thank you, Meg. He is able, he is able. Meg, I hope your CD is coming out. It's been two weeks since I proposed that idea to you, but please do. Uh, we will take it any day of the week. Thank you so much. All right, as you turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 2, Mark chapter 2. Uh, we've been in the book of Mark now for almost uh, two and a half months here, three and a half months with the new year. Uh, we'll be in Mark for a couple more weeks leading up to Easter, and then we'll transition to some different topics on Easter uh, for the resurrection and then through some different things coming up. Uh, I just want to say thank you as you're turning. Many of you took home eggs last week, not real eggs, but Easter eggs, and filled them with candy. Thank you for doing that. Uh, those candy eggs will be used at our Easter uh, event here coming up in a couple weeks as we get to go through and help uh, share the gospel that way. So thank you for doing that. And I also want to say thank you to the men who came out last night to the men's dinner. Uh, we had, I think, six young men who came out with us as well. We had as old as, well, I won't say who the oldest one was, but uh, we had some older men there and we had some younger men there too. So guys, thank you for multi-generationally, if that's a word, uh, letting the gospel be shared and known. And, and ladies, we talked about how to communicate with you. So if you know a guy that went to the men's dinner last night, they should be very good communicators after last night. Amen? Uh, yeah, there, yeah there, is there a follow-up session? Well, we'll have to see. A make-up session? Well, there could be if we need to. But uh, uh, So guys, thank you for that. Uh, it is a joy to see so many men coming out, wanting to know more of God's Word, studying it, living it, and discipling one to another with it as well. So as we go before God's word, what a joy it is, friends. I do not take lightly how, uh, how willing, uh, how able we are, I guess you could say, to preach God's word. And I thank Nelson. Nelson's not here this week, but Nelson Nisley preached an amazing message last week. If you missed it, check it out online at towerofukc.com. You will be greatly challenged and encouraged as well. All right, Mark chapter 2. But you know, uh, before we get there, as we often do, I, I, I was just thinking about this because the chapter we're going to get into is a chapter that is about rules. And I always thought, why do they put certain things on those tags, you know, or certain warning labels on things? And I wanted to read some to you because sometimes these rules seem very restrictive, don't they? So for like on children's medicine, have you ever seen the warning label that says, don't drive car or operate heavy machinery while using this product? I mean, isn't that restrictive? I mean, what are you thinking? Or how about a hairdryer? It has a warning label that says, don't use it while sleeping. Um, how did you turn it on when you were sleeping with it anyway? Think about that. Or shower caps have those restrictive warnings, and I'm being sarcastic as I say this, that says it only fits one head at a time. So if you've ever tried to put one shower cap on, don't do that. Also, ladies, I'm, I, I'm sure you know this, but guys, you may not, but irons tell you, an iron that you iron clothes with says, do not iron clothes while wearing them. So uh, <laughs> that may seem restrictive for some of you. Or for Christmas tree, for indoor or outdoor use only. Well, where else would you put it? I mean, <laughs> I'm sorry. 
uh, and I just saw this, uh, you know, uh, uh, airlines took away our meals after the Great Recession eight or nine years ago, and they started to bring back nuts as the main meal. And it says in, in the warning label, um, nut packets on American Airlines, it says, open packets and eat nuts as the, uh, the warning for you. So congratulations. A uh, couple more for you. On a frozen dinner, remember to defrost it before you eat it. Dishwashers, these sound really restrictive. Don't allow your children to play in the dishwasher while in use. <laughs> I'm sorry. I love this next one. I'm, uh, on, I, I didn't know they had such things. On flushable toilet brushes, do not use for personal hygiene. I'm going to let that one sit for a minute. Uh, <laughs> Or how about some real restrictions here on a child's scooter? This product moves when in use. Really? You know what? How do people come up with this stuff? If you have this job, please let me know, because I could get some more things. And the last one's on a cat's blanket. You know, a bl- I didn't know they had blankets for cats. Apparently they do. But on a cat's blanket, it's, it's machine washable, but remove the pet first. So, <laughs> <Isn't>, <laughs> Sorry. You know... Um, why bring up these silly illustrations? I, I, they're funny, for one. Which I think that's, that's a one thing. But, you know, as I was thinking about this chapter, all these silly things, we're going to enter a chapter, guys, where we are going to see some people that are called the Pharisees that are going to bring some things that they would look at us today and say, you're being legalistic. Or we'd look at them, rather, and say, you're being legalistic. How dare you do that? You can't do that. That's, that's just not something you should do. That's not what it was intended for in that sense. And today, we call that thing legalism. Have you heard that word before, legalism? Many of you know what this is. It is exactly kind of what it seems like people are doing on these warning labels. Legalism is basically something that's destructive, it's seductive, and it's deceptive to a relationship with God. It's destructive because it brands death rather than life. It's seductive because it lures our flesh more than a relationship with Christ. And it's deceptive because instead of following Christ wholeheartedly, you fall into the trap of what most people feel are those warning labels in that you become a spiritual slave to the spiritual elite. I am glad, aren't you? Hosea 6.6, you'll see this up on the screen. It says, uh, God's words here, I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. Friends, many of you have grown up in churches where the legal law was the letter of the law. And there, there are some good things to follow. But legalism is raising up God's word to a standard where it is not necessarily speaking to. And we'll see that in today's passage. We'll see the, the thousands of laws, that, if you can go that far, that the Pharisees had about the Sabbath coming to play in the story of Jesus and what he did on the Sabbath. But legalists are often characterized by looking at shortcomings of other people. You've, met, you've known people like that, right? You see them and they, they find fault in you before they find fault in themselves. Or they'll find something what's wrong in uh, society quicker than they'll find something what's wrong, again, within themselves. Or, here's a great list. There's the I don't and you don't. Many of you know this. I don't dance. I don't do drugs. I don't go to movies. I don't cuss. And uh, the list goes on. I don't smoke. I don't drink. I don't chew. And I don't go with girls that do. And you've heard that old phrase before. 
some other legalists, and I'm not saying those are bad things not to do. Please don't say I'm opening that book. But some would say, you, you, you know, more specifically, in church, you don't use the right Bible translation. There are some churches that are set on one translation of the Bible. And if you don't have that, you can't go there. Or if you don't wear a coat and tie, oops, uh, then uh, you can't come to church. Or you don't sing the right kind of music, or you don't, uh, you, you know, you don't uh, sway the right way, or you're like me, you're that guy that's offbeat when you're clapping, you're on clap three and it's clap two, and you're that person. Legalism comes in many shapes and forms, and I'm sure you could add to that list. But what we will see from this passage today is the Sabbath day, and we studied this a little bit back in the fall, but in the Sabbath day, the Pharisees were saying to Jesus, no, Jesus, you can't do that, you can't do that, you can't do that. And they were becoming modern-day legalists of their time. They were Pharisees in that sense. So how does this relate to us? Friends, I want to remind us this morning, especially on the Lord's Day, and you're here today on a Sunday, the Lord's Day, the Resurrection Sunday, that the Sabbath is a needed weekly reminder that God will keep all things working properly even while you rest. Aren't you grateful for that? I'm glad, because I don't know about you, I put her out a lot sooner. We asked the guys last night, the old guys and the young guys, when do you go to bed? And the old guys actually stayed up longer sometimes than the younger guys, believe that or not. Uh, Gail, if you're here, brother, I think I see in the back, Gail said when you're retired, you don't have to get up, you don't have to worry about time so much as that used to do. And that's true, friends, but we need to be reminded that keeping the Sabbath is, shouldn't be a legalistic thing, it should be a relationship thing that we have towards our God. Because when you know the Lord of the Sabbath that Jesus will declare himself to be, you know complete freedom. But what's the question? How far does that freedom go? How far should we be able to go? Should, does that mean you shouldn't watch sports or what are those things? I want to revisit that a little bit today. Because that's what they were arguing. The Pharisees were against Jesus because he was doing something on the Sabbath they didn't think was right. So we'll look at three things this morning. First, we want to see that Jesus is our Sabbath rest. So we want to be careful to watch man-made rules. We want to be secondly careful to remember that the Sabbath, the Lord's Day, should bless us and not burden us. And as all things, Jesus is our true foundation in all that we do. And we'll see those as that will frame our discussion. So as you do, if you'll stand with me in the reading of God's word this morning, uh, Mark chapter 2, verses 23 to 28, as we close out Mark chapter 2 and look at Jesus, who is the Lord of the Sabbath. And these legalists, in a sense, who brought things against him and how he handled that and how that applies to us as well. Mark chapter 2, it says, one Sabbath, he, that's Jesus, was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, look, why are you doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry, and he and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence? which is not lawful for any but the prince, uh, priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. And Jesus said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is the Lord, even of the Sabbath. Say, so Darren, how does the warning labels and all that stuff comes in? It comes in, the, in this way. Friend, we need to be careful about what man-made rules we import into our church culture, but also not laying upon a burden of someone who may not be ready for that burden, as we'll see in today's passage. Let's go before the Lord in prayer today. 
Father, what a joy it is to have a good laugh about warning labels and how many would look at those and say that's silly. And Father, certainly there are safeguards in the scriptures. But Lord, I pray in our church that you keep us from uh, pharisaical legalism, Lord. But at the same time, in all intentions, Lord, may we seek to do all things for your glory. Father, as we discuss that today in this passage and what it meant for your son to be questioned about the Sabbath and how that relates, Father, in all these things, be glorified and be praised. Lord, we ask this not because we are worthy, but because Christ is, and because Christ is worthy, we desire to honor him. Father, may you speak through your word today. Your word is truth, and we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated this morning. Well, I just want to remind us before we get to the first point, uh, where we've been, because Jesus is a controversial figure. Once again, Jesus finds himself in the midst of a whole bunch of controversy. Uh, starting in chapter 2 and verses 1 through 12, Jesus claimed to be God and forgive sins, and that riled people up as it, as it would even in today's world. In chapter 2, verses 13 and 17, Jesus consorted with sinners. He was a friend of sinners. He, he hung out with those, uh, those people that are on the edge, the fringe people, and, and he shared with them. And Uh, A couple weeks ago, we looked at how he did not fast according to the religious traditions, but it wasn't really about fasting so much as it was for them to realize that God had come, Christ had come, and now he is setting all things right. And now Jesus, and we'll look at this in two separate instances this week and next, he doesn't honor the Sabbath. What in the world is this guy thinking? I mean, come on, Jesus, get with the program. Why do you keep stirring things up once again? Well, God often stirs things up in our lives, doesn't he? And he does it for his betterment, uh, for our betterment, for his glory. Just as an aside, the Sabbath, what is that? Let's define our terms. Well, the Sabbath ran from Friday sunset to Saturday sunset. Uh, you know, the Muslims have uh, Mecca and the Quran. Uh, Hindus have the, uh, the, the Ganges River in India. And uh, the Jews had the Sabbath. That set them apart from every other religion back in the day. They had one day of the week where they did absolutely nothing that was not necessary to do. You say, well, if it wasn't necessary to do, why were there thousands of laws? Well, there really were. The Pharisees added on layer upon layer upon layer upon layer. But as I shared with our Sunday school class this morning, don't think the Pharisees were trying to do things necessarily in a man-made way. The Pharisees were the conservative people of their day. We would have loved them. They were the conservative theologians that wanted a heart to seek after God. But even in that thing, As you know, they had lost the heart of it all at that point. But the Sabbath was a special day set aside for Israel to be known as God's people. To to offend on the Sabbath was a very, very big thing. It's almost like in a Baptist church, I I don't know, uh, if you stopped having potlucks and you stopped having uh, whatever else is sacred to Baptists, uh, you know, if the Baptist pastor started dancing and singing and playing cards up here, you'd know something was off, right? For those of you old school Baptists, you know what I'm talking about. But the general rule was don't work unless it's necessary on the Sabbath day. And Jesus and his disciples were guilty of a double violation in the laws of the Pharisees. First, they were told you can't walk more than 1,999 paces. Now, you do that. How many of y'all keep track of your, your steps each day or your smartphone does or something like that? 1,999 paces is not very far at all. Very fall, you know, I'm walking one, two, three, four, five, six over to the piano just like that and back. That's not very much at all. That's actually a very short distance. And they believe, the Pharisees believe, that Jesus was violating the rules that they had set up. 
Well, let me read for you Deuteronomy 23, 25, so you understand what the Sabbath was meant to do, specific into this instance. Deuteronomy 23 says, if you go into your neighbor's standing grain, you may pluck, that's the key word, you may pluck the ears with your hand, but you shall not put a sickle, which is the the sheath, to your neighbor's standing grain. So, so far, so good. Jesus is good. But Exodus 34, 21 says, six days you shall work, but on the seventh day you shall rest. In plowing time and in harvest, you shall rest. So here's where the controversy comes in. These Pharisees are upset because plucking was reaping in the eyes of the Pharisees. Thus, we have the rationale for the rebuke. You can eat, but don't reap what they say they would say. You can eat it, but you can't pluck it on the Sabbath. You see where the controversy is coming in. Look back at verse 23. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to what? pluck. And the Pharisees go, whoa, Jesus, you can't do that. That's not right. On page 777, section C, article 5, sub point 2, you can't do that. That's not right. There's where the controversy comes in. And so Jesus, as far as they were concerned, were, he, were responsible for the sinful actions, and also they were compounding, they were doubling his defense, because this is why they asked in a question of rebuke. Look back at your text and see what they say. The Pharisees were saying to him, look, okay, Jesus, give it the program. Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? Can you hear the the rhetoric just dripping with anger as they say that? Better to go hungry, they said, than to break the rules. Break our laws and our laws and the religious police will be quick to ticket you with a violation, as the legalists often do. And they were perhaps filled with good intentions, as anyone might be, but they constructed a man-made mountain of rules that enslaved and no one should try to live up to at that point. So what is the problem here? The problem is Jesus isn't doing what they want him to do, and as a result, they're mad at him. They hate him for it. Friends, what a great reminder to us that sometimes, and let me just speak from a visitor standpoint, if you're, if you're walking into our church for the first time, you don't know our unwritten rules, do you? Uh, when you, have you ever walked into a place and you sensed you did something wrong, but you didn't know what you did wrong? Have you ever been there before? You know, it's kind of awkward, isn't it? You walk in and, uh, uh, well, I don't know, you pick it. You know, you walk into an interview and you, you always think that you didn't tie your tie right or something. You get those weird looks. You know what I'm talking about. That's how Jesus or, or most people felt when they walked before the Pharisees. Those eyes were always watching them. But in a reversal of Genesis 50, 20, what God had meant for good, they, the Pharisees, had turned evil. And in a sense, it's not a clash over the rules. What they're clashing over is Jesus is clashing against their rules. They want to make the rules, not Jesus. And they have problems with that. Jesus will gladly honor the law of God as he did, but he'll do it only when it conforms to God's standard. When he doesn't, Jesus turns everything upside on its head. What you're going to see in the first application point is simply this. Friends, you can have a respectably religious life that impresses most anyone, but it's a Christ-centered life that will confound and compel people to follow you. You can be religious all day long. You can come to the Baptist church 52 days out of the year on a Sunday. You can come on Wednesday night, help at Awana. You can do all sorts of religious things. But if your faith in Christ is built merely on religion, then you have missed the boat as the Pharisees missed the boat with the simple plucking of grain on the Sabbath. How easy it is to consider yourself to be very, very religious but miss 
Christ. Isn't that true of Matthew 7, the most haunting words that can ever come before a pastor's eyes? That on the day of judgment, there will be those people who say, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? Lord, Lord, didn't we cast out demons in your name? Lord, Lord, didn't we heal the sick in your name? And what would Jesus tell them? Away from me. I never knew you. Religion is a very dangerous thing. There are so many religious people in this world, but there are very few who Christ is the center of all that they do. Trusting God is not a dreamy Hallmark card religious glow that you see on the Hallmark channel. Sometimes it is, but often it's not. This life is painful. It's destabilizing. It's costly. It's real, but it's ultimately satisfying when you know Christ. Church, and we have to ask that same question. Have we put any layers of keeping people from Christ that are more man-made than they are God-made? Such as an example, if you have said that you have to go to church uh, to be a Christian, there are some churches that preach that, then that is not the truth. You come to Christ, and as a Christian, you want to go to church, but you don't become a Christian by going to church. There are some denominations out there that say unless you, uh, unless you are baptized, you cannot be saved. We say no. Baptism is a sign that you love Christ and you want to honor him with that. If I talk to someone on the street out here at 50th Street and they get saved and, and, and they, you know, they repent and believe the gospel, but they walk across and some, uh, some bird comes down and knocks them down and they die suddenly, they don't make it to the baptistry, good theology says that person's going to be in heaven. But man-made rules would say, no, 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 no. But they have to be baptized first. Friend, the, the thief on the cross believed and he was with Christ in that same day in paradise, was he not? We have to be careful where our man-made rules, and those are, those are broad issues. We can get more specifics. But back in, and Amy's going to put this up, back in the book of 3 John, we preached on this. There was a man by the name of Diotrephes. And Diotrephes, or Diotrephes, however you want to say his name, was a man who was kind of like the Pharisees of his day. He was a man, and I'll just read these verses to you, 3 John 9, 10, uh, 9, 10, and 11. It says, I've written something to the church, but Diotrephus, who likes to put himself first, doesn't acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I'll bring up what he's doing. He's talking wicked nonsense against us. And not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. And John says, beloved, don't imitate what's evil, but imitate what's good. Whoever does, not, whoever does good is from God, but whoever does evil is not seen from God. Diotrephus was a regular Joe church member, probably a leader in the church, and he had gotten to the point where he didn't want to welcome any other Christians that he didn't like. So we don't know if that was a certain stripe of Christian, if it was a certain uh, appearance, a certain doctrinal stance, we don't know. But he loved to be first. And John said, no, welcome everyone into the church and he said, no, I only want this group of people. I only want this set of people. I only want this set of tone that comes out of their mouth. And John said, no, don't follow him. He spreads malicious nonsense. He refuses to welcome even unbelievers. And he stops from doing so. So Darren, what does this all mean? It's a great question. Friend, I would pray, and I, I'm, I'm not speaking specifically here. I'm just speaking in general. But as a church, would you pray for our church that we don't set up man-made rules that prevent people from knowing Christ? Whatever that may be. Maybe it is, and I don't sense, we don't have any sense of that here in our church, but may we never get to the place that a certain person has to have a certain bank account number to come to our church. And do you know there are churches that have that? There's some churches that if you don't look the part, you can't come in a part of it. I'm glad this church is a place where it's okay not to be okay because Christ is Lord. 
And that is what we teach. If you're here today and you feel like the world is going against you, thank you for coming. Christ is what you need. That's why we're here, because Christ died for our sins. May we never put a stumbling block in front of someone that is more man-made rule than it is gospel-driven. And yes, friends, there are good wisdom, and I'm not going to chase that rabbit, but would you pray for our church that we don't put anything in anyone's way that would cause them not to see Christ for who he is. I hope that makes sense. Let's move on. So Jesus calls him out, and he says, look, on the Sabbath day thing, it's okay to eat, but here's why. Second thing I want you to see here is that Jesus teaches them that the Sabbath is a blessing, not a burden. It's a blessing, not a burden. Look back at verses 23 and 24 as we read it. Jesus goes on to say, uh, one Sabbath he was going out, and the Pharisees were saying to him, look, why are you doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And then verses 25 to 27, have you never read? Don't you just love that about Jesus? He goes right to the heart of it. You religious people, have you never read? He just calls their bluff. Have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar the high priest and ate the bread of presence, which is not lawful for any but the uh, the priest to eat, and he also gave it to those who were with him. Look, Jesus often does what he does here in this passage. He ignores the Sabbath question, and he goes to King David. And he, he points to David for a very good reason, and this is why. Because back in 1 Samuel, David, let me read this for you. 1 Samuel 21, 1 through 6. Uh, I just want to point out what this is and draw the principle out. 1 Samuel says, Then David came to Nob at Elimelech, the priest. And Elimelech, the priest, came to meet David trembling and said to him, Why are you alone? No one is with you. And David said to Amalimelech, the priest, The king has charged me with a matter and said to me, Let no one know of anything of the matter which I'm sending you or which you've been charged. Now, then, what do you have on hand? Give me five loaves of bread or whatever is here. And the priest answered David, I have no common bread on hand, but there is holy bread. If the young men have kept themselves from women. And David answered the priest, Truly, women have been kept from us, as always when we go on expedition. How much more today will their vessels be holy? So the priest gave him the holy bread, for there was no bread there but the bread of the presence, which is removed from before the Lord to be replaced by the hot bread on the day it is taken. I bring this up to give you context here. Because what they are charging Jesus with is something that even David himself was affirmed for in the scriptures. But we have to chase this rabbit here because the skeptic will say, well, didn't Jesus say Abiathar, the high priest? And didn't you just read, Darren, that Elimelech was the high priest at that time? Yes and yes. This is not a contradiction in the scripture. The ancient Hebrew Bible didn't have chapter or verses like we do. That wasn't until the Middle Ages. But they had separate words. And Jesus simply, uh, they, they didn't even separate the words, I should say. But Jesus cites here for you that this is in the time Abiathar would become the high priest. And in that section, it's Elimelech. And basically, it's just proving the fact that Jesus knew his history because just a little bit later, they would switch out the high priest. So what's the point? The point is, David and his men were hungry. They needed to eat. It was not something they should have ate. And while it was not normal or lawful to do, it was quite exceptional for them to eat the showbread. Scripture nowhere condemns their actions. And godly men on both occasions, and David and Christ, did what God would have them to do. He didn't want them to starve. They ate the bread of the presence. So why is Jesus talking about David and the Sabbath? What does all this mean, Darren? Well, 
what Jesus is showing is that between him and David, he is the greater one. That as David, by God's grace, could eat bread on a non-specific day with non-specific bread that they shouldn't have done, so Jesus, in the flesh, can turn the tables on how things have been done and how they will be done. Friends, this is what he says. Look down at verse 27 and 28. I want you to see this. He says to them, The Sabbath was not made for man. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. The Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Jesus says, look, the day that God made to set apart for you is not some law-made day where it's about keeping all these rules. It is about me, the Lord of the Sabbath, and I am Jesus, and I am here to tell you that their plucking grain is not your biggest concern. The biggest concern you have is you're still not seeing that I am the one who allows them to do that. And isn't that true of most people today? When we get around laws and we get around things in churches that are more rule-based than anything else, and it turns into legalism, we miss Jesus for the trees. And friends, that's exactly what is happening here. Jesus had a liberating vision of a Sabbath that frees us, not one that binds us in an unbearable burden. As Baptists, what do we believe about the Sabbath? What do we believe about this? Uh, I will have, uh, and Nathaniel, I'm looking at some, uh, some things. We were on a Facebook together, some Facebook groups. This is hotly debated on those topics, as you know. But as Baptists, we believe that on Sunday, the Sabbath day, the Lord's day, is a day that is open to your conscience to do under the Lordship of Christ whatever you feel you can do. All right, so the big question. Darren, can I watch football? Darren, the Royals play on Sunday afternoon. Should I be watching the Royals games? Well, let me give you the faith lesson first, and let's talk through those issues. First, the Sabbath teaches that God wants us to be unproductive at times, rejuvenated and rested and refreshed. Guys, God can turn the world without you working seven days a week. God can work in this world without someone telling you, do this, do that. Rest on the Sabbath day. You know, I, let's just be honest here. The Lord's day is a day that often becomes uh, a... Uh, a last-ditch effort to do everything we didn't do in the other days. Isn't it? Ever been to Walmart on a Sunday afternoon? Ever been to Aldi on a Sunday afternoon? Ever been to a restaurant on Sunday afternoon? You know it's to be true. And we get out early, so you get the good restaurants anyway. That's how it works. Should you be doing something on the Lord's Day? Should you? Uh, or should you just be restrictive in all that you do? Friends, I think that's up to your conscience. But I, I, I will tell you this, is that the Lord's Day, in everything that we should do, I believe... And this is what the Baptist faith and message encourages, our statement of faith, is that it should be done to the Lord's glory and honor. But can I encourage you? I love sports. Did you know that? I, I love sports. Uh, yeah, some of you know that way too well. Love sports. But a practice, and I'm not saying you should or shouldn't do this. You pray about this. But the Lord's Day, we have tried to rest in our family. We've tried to take naps if our kids are willing. Sometimes that's harder, easier said than done. We've tried to read together. We've tried to study together. We've tried to make the Lord's Day about the Lord's Day. Let it be a time of refreshment for you. Look, if you spend every, you know, someone says, uh, I want a, a glorious weekend with nothing to do, then let Sunday be that day. Let Sunday be the day you take a prayer walk instead of turning on the, the, the tube, so to speak. Let Sunday be a day that you catch up on your Bible reading you're guilty for missing the last five days. Let Sunday be the day that you worship and you honor the Lord. You're doing that right now. You're doing it. So Darren, should you watch football on a Sunday? I'm not going to give you a definitive yes or no. You take that before the Lord. But I would encourage you that to honor the Lord's day. Because I don't want to put man-made rules in front of you, but at the same time, I want you to remember that Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. Honor him with that day. 
This is Resurrection Sunday. You know, some churches have a 10-point marketing plan about how to get more people in church on Sunday morning on Easter, and they, and they give great gifts away. You know, show up and be one of the first 300, and you get a $5 trinket we bought at uh, a Chinese Oriental Trading Company, you know, something like that. Woo! You know, go for it. That's great. Friends, we don't have to do that, because you know what? Every Sunday is Resurrection Sunday. We celebrate Jesus, that he died, was buried, and rose again on this day every single week. And Easter, yeah, sure, great, come. We're going to celebrate, especially then. But we get to celebrate this every week. That's what the Lord's Day is all about. Don't get to the point where you turn into a Pharisee and you put rule here, rule there, rule here, rule there. But I do have to ask the question, is your heart to honor God or to honor your favorite sports team? Should you stop watching sports? I'll leave that between you and the Lord. But do you see that fine line there? Don't want to be a Pharisee, but you don't want to be so loose that you forget what the purpose of the day is all about, which is to honor Christ. Thank you for coming today. This is the greatest example of how you honor Christ on that day. You know, um, I have good friends who, uh, uh, they, they will, I have good friends who won't move, they will cook all their meals on Saturday as, as opposed to doing anything on a Sunday. Nathan, I'm looking, or Nathaniel, I'm looking at you, brother, you know how this goes. And that's great, I love that. But where's your heart before all these things? Is your heart set to honor God with what you do on a Sunday? And I mean that, I really do. Darren, you're an old fuddy-duddy Baptist preacher from 1855. Maybe so. But friends, we're supposed to be countercultural. And you want to be countercultural? Don't do what the culture does on a Sunday. And that'll, that'll get you more witnesses for Jesus than you may ever do in a whole week. I'm serious. It really will. I'm not calling us back to, I'm just saying, where's your heart in the matter? We don't want to be the Pharisees where we say, man-made rule, man-made rule, man-made rule, man-made rule. But we want to check the heart of things. Is my heart set to honor the Lord in whatever I'm doing? Look, can you go outside and run with your kids on a Sunday? I hope so, because otherwise they're up till 10 o'clock at our house and beyond. Praise the Lord. They were, they were last night as well. But you see the point, don't you? It's a heart issue here. And Jesus is calling them out for that. Look, if you believe that you have to work seven days a week to provide for your family. Friends, I, I understand there's some days, even, our, even our, our youth pastor's doing that, but look, are you taking time to rest? Your arm is not going to strengthen your body. God's going to give you a day to rest. Be set apart in that day as best you can. Even as a pastor, I, I'm trying on Fridays to silence my phone and do all those things to the best of my ability because I know that's hard to do. For some of you, turning off that smartphone is the hardest thing you will do this entire week. Can I even go deeper? Shutting down Facebook is going to be harder for some of you than most people. I step down here to say, we're not trying to be legalists at our church, but I do ask you, as you honor the Lord's day, ask yourself, what is my heart in the matter before I do it? And that is the thing. Your shows can be DVR, trust me. Or so I hear. I don't have a DVR. We have, a, we have antennas at our house, so they work. They can be. But your time with the Lord, do you realize you could, you could get 52 extra weekend days a year if you honored the Lord's day as it's meant to be honored? Did you ever think about that? And by the, you get seven extra weeks of vacation each week, each year, by just simply honoring the Lord's day as it is and not going crazy on it. Anyway, we'll leave it there. So that's what they did. There's your practical word for the day. Jesus calls them out. Let's end with this next thing. We'll end here, friends. So Jesus tells him it should be a blessing, not a burden on that day. Don't let the rules do that. Friends, I don't know about you, but I'd rather experience years of worshiping and playing with children, taking walks, enjoying fellowship, and taking naps and worrying about what the latest show is. And trust me, I w- we were fans of Downton Abbey, if I can show my old uh, timepiece roots and all those things on Sundays. And this is just our choice. That's what we've done. But I would encourage you, check your schedule on Sunday. Why do you do what you do? Don't be legalistic about it. 
but ask yourself, could I, could I get closer to the Lord through this, or is there something else that may hinder me? And here's the last point. Jesus is your true foundation. He tells us to get rid of man-made rules. He tells us to remember that the Lord's day is a blessing, not a burden. And finally, here in verse 28, he tells us that Jesus is our anchor and our guide. Look back at verse 28 one more time. He says, so the Son of Man is the Lord even of the Sabbath. That was groundbreaking for them. Jesus is the one who shattered all conceptions that he did. He takes that title, Son of Man, and you've heard that before, and he ties it to the Lord of the Sabbath. And if you go back down to verse 10, uh, chapter 2, uh, my friend Brian preached on this about a month ago, and he says, But this you know, that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic. Just like Daniel 7, when demon re- recognized the, this Jesus, he's not just another man, he's the Son of Man, he's fully human, but he's also fully divine. And that's to our joy. He puts himself in the authority with God and he tells them, look, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. Honor me. Don't honor your rules. Honor me. Seek me, Pharisees. Don't great with your rules, but seek me. Christ then determines what's lawful or what's unlawful. He determines then what is permissible and impermissible. Christ then being Lord of the Sabbath says what's right or what's wrong. He makes the call. He has the final say. He is no, there is no court of appeal. There is no higher authority. With one bold declaration, Jesus says, look, I am Lord even of the day that you make the most rules for. How true in our own lives as well. Friends, I just encourage you with this faith lesson Amy will put up there for us. Your success in this life is not based upon, uh, your, your success is not your foundation of your hope, rather, but Christ's death, his burial, and his resurrection is. What this phrase will show them, and Hebrews goes on with this, and uh, early chapters of Hebrews will say, is that not only are we united to Christ, but he's united to us. And his union with us is the foundation and the motivation to love and obey him in all that we do. That's a great promise for us because as you look to honor the Lord's day, it's so easy to miss that. It's so easy to miss that. Friends, the greatest rest you have is spending time with Jesus, isn't it? The greatest times in your life that are most refreshing, most rejuvenating are not vegging out, if I may, in front of a TV for eight hours. It's relaxing to some degree because you just check out. But truly the most refreshing, rejuvenating times are honoring God, Christ as the Lord of everything that we are, everything that we are. 1 Corinthians 3 says we can lay no other foundation than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. That's the reason that we should never have rivalries in a church. Because look, you may be for Fred and I may be for Joe, but we're all for Jesus Christ, I pray, at the end of the day. Is he Lord of your life today? I just want to leave you with some chasing thoughts as we close. Uh, What will you chase after this week? How will you chase after We're going to go over to 1 Corinthians. I'm just going to put the verses up there. These all come from 1 Corinthians, and I'll read them for you. But as you decide, Lord, am I seeking to be legalistic on this day, or am I seeking to heartwarmingly honor you? These are some great encouragements, I think, for you coming from 1 Corinthians 6 through chapter 13. These are what you might call the gospel-centered responses to the grace of God in me. So how do we honor God with these thoughts in mind on the Lord's day? Here are some guidelines as you think about your Sunday, as you think about your Lord's Day, what would best honor the Lord. First off, uh, I pray that you'll pursue things that build up your service to Christ. 1 Corinthians 10.23, Paul says, All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. 
All things are lawful, but not all things build up. You know, many of you I know have struggled with this thought of, I, I'm so busy to go pray with someone or visit someone or see someone. Friends, that's a great time to do that on Lord's Day. Go have a meal with someone from our church. Invite someone who is different than you from our church. Uh, age-wise, uh, socioeconomic-wise, invite them over to your house. What a way to build each other up on the Lord's Day. Because some things you can do on the Lord's Day aren't always lawful or good, but some things are better. Another thing that you can do and ask yourself, am I honoring the Lord's Day with my heart? What frees me up is, is pursue that which frees rather than enslaves you. 1 Corinthians 6.12, again, Paul says, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by any thing. Some of us have become so attached to whatever we do on the Lord's Day that it has really become our, our small G God in our lives, and that's true. Um, you know, I can remember uh, in college, I used to do all my, my long runs on Sunday afternoons, and my, my goal was to get through church. If I could get through church, I could go run for three hours, and that, that didn't sound exciting to you, but for me, that was amazing. I get to go run for three hours, and that became my God. God, I don't care about service, just psh, get me out on the road, let me run for three hours to my thoughts and my minds and all those things. And I found that that became my idol on a Sunday rather than seeking the Lord and his people on a Sunday as well. What's another thing that you can do and chase after on the Lord's Day to encourage you? Uh, whatever encourages your brothers and sisters in Christ. Therefore, Paul says, 1 Corinthians eight thirteen: If food makes me at my brother stumble, I'll never eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. Friend, as you pray this week and ask, Lord, am I honoring your Lord's Day how I can in my family? Would you include in that prayer, Lord, is there anything in my life that I'm doing on a Sunday that may trip someone else up in the faith? You say, Darren, that's pretty blanketed. Yeah, but Paul said he'd never eat meat again if he, he knew it would not cause someone to sin and stumble in a way that they could pursue Christ. Also, on a Sunday, what else can you do to honor the Lord? How about this one? Uh, well, I will pursue whatever helps my gospel witness. Whatever helps my gospel witness. Many of you, have you ever had the thought of saying, man, I really wish I could read more? Does anyone like to read? I really wish I could read more. Guys, Sunday's the perfect day to read, especially from 2 to 5 when everyone else is napping in your house. That is the perfect time to read. It really is. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9, 12, if others share this rightful claim, uh, nevertheless, we've made not use of this right, but we endure anything than to put an obstacle in the way of Jesus Christ. Look, we, uh, we have a couple neighbors we keep batting around in our, our minds that we need to invite over, really next-door neighbors. This is a great example as I was going through this in my own heart. Why have you not invited those neighbors over on a Sunday? What a way to share the gospel. Invite a non-Christian over to have lunch with you. Invite them to church. Invite them to honor that way. It helps your gospel witness. Also, how about 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11? On the Lord's Day, may we pursue things which magnify new life in Christ. This is going to hit home a little bit. He says in 1 Corinthians 6, 9 and 11, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus by the Spirit of God. Does what media you consume on TV, Facebook, fill in the blank on Sunday, honor what the Lord is all about any day of the week? It's a question to ask. 1 Corinthians 10.25 says, I, another thing that we will pursue, we will pursue what is consistent with a redeemed conscience on the Lord's day. Paul said in 1 Corinthians, he said, 
I do not, uh, he said, if I, if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice according to meat, then don't eat it for the sake of the one who's informed you and for the sake of conscience. For why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of that which I give thanks? Friends, you do have liberty on the Lord's day to decide what is rightful for you. But I encourage you to look at it and ask, is this honoring to Christ? Is it honoring to the Lord? Third, or third, how about seventh? We'll pursue that which exemplifies Jesus Christ. Pursue that which exemplifies Jesus Christ. Paul said, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Friends, if you want to know how not to follow rules and follow Christ, is what you're doing, especially on the Lord's Day, encouraging people to go to Jesus, or is it detracting people from Jesus at that question? And please let me put this caveat out there. I look at, as I write this sermon, I write this to myself, primarily before the Word of God, and out to you. I don't, I'm not pointing fingers, that's not my goal, but my goal here is to ask these reflective questions so that you can look and say, Lord, am I honoring you, especially on the day that you told us to? Am I pursuing things which show love to others? 1 Corinthians 13, I don't have time to read it. Read it all, but the love chapter, the great chapter, if you've heard that at every wedding, probably preached out there. Is what I'm doing showing love to others on the Lord's day? Am I honoring the Lord in that area of my life? And these next two are kind of the same. Amy, if you want to throw the next two up. I will pursue things which honor my body, which belongs to God. I will pursue things which glorify God who saved me. Friends, you say, Darren, you're not getting specific enough for me. Do I do this? Do I do that? Do I not do this? Do I not do that? Do I do this? Do I do that? Do I do this at 5 o'clock and this at 7 o'clock? Do I do this at 8 o'clock? Do I do this at 8.31? Friend, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. But I pray that as you go before the Lord, you say, Lord, guard me from man-made rules. But Lord, guard my heart in Christ Jesus that I am not putting on anyone else or myself anything the Scripture doesn't want me to. Because Lord, I want to honor you on this day. This is not what you usually hear preached at Southern Baptist churches. Because most Southern Baptist churches, this is not what you usually hear. But friends, I know because we are in a culture right now that wants to suck up every minute of your time, every minute, every day, every second, wherever you are. But as Christians, may we be counter-cultural. May we be different in how we handle the Lord's day to God's glory for his name's sake. Amen? And that is our prayer. We pray with me as we close out today?